There are two kinds of Christian. And I'm not talking revivalistic, Methodistic, Keswick, carnal and victorious Christians. Those are wrong Christians. There are true and false Christians. Now, why am I calling false Christians Christians? Perhaps you want to say to me, Pastor, shouldn't we call false Christians simply not Christians? No. Because that would not honor Christ's church on earth. That would not honor Christ's ordinances on earth. The worship of the church. The discipline of the church. You see, both Christians belong to the church. Both made professions of faith. Both were baptized. Both attend regularly the means of grace. But when Christ returns in the flesh, only the one holy Catholic church will be revealed. Only then will the invisible church be fully visible, and then there will be only one kind of Christian. But for now, in the church, as Christ has said, there are sheep, there are goats, there are wheat, and there are tares. And the question is begged, or perhaps worried, am I a true Christian? And that is a proper question. Paul reminds us, Paul commands the church, examine yourselves. Examine yourselves to see whether you are in the faith. He says, test yourselves. And what is the test? How do I know I am a true Christian? There is an answer for us this morning in 1 Samuel 28. But first... We need some background information. We read 1 Samuel 28, verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel mourned him and buried him in Ramah, his own city. The backdrop, this is the backdrop. This is uh, chapter 25. Samuel died in chapter 25. Now we're being reminded we must remember Samuel's dead. That's some important background information for our text. And then it says, And Saul had put the mediums and the necromancers out of the land. Saul was orthodox. He obeyed Torah. For all intents and purposes, he was Christian. He belonged to the church. And he fought for the church. The Philistines, verse 4, assembled and came and encamped at Shunem. And Saul gathered all his Israel and, and they encamped at Gilboa. War is a backdrop. War is the backdrop to the Old Testament. And here we are reminded of the greater context, which is David. David is really the greater context. Even though we're talking Saul and Endor, David's the context. Verse 2, we read, David said to Achish, very well, you shall know what your servant can do. And Achish said to David, very well, I will make you my bodyguard for life. In this text, in this story, David, had become, David has become a servant of sin. David is now outside of the church, joined to the enemy. Outside the church, he turned from the church to the devil. 
and aligned with evil outside the church, he is about to attack God's people. He is marching out as we speak against Yahweh. And as we hear the story, as we're reading the story, we're looking at the screen and we're shouting, no, what is happening? David, what are you doing? Has David fallen so far? Isn't David a man after God's own heart? What are you doing, David? And as he begins marching out, we're interrupted with Saul, Saul and Endor. It's like when you're watching your favorite show and we, you get the message, we interrupt. Do they still do this? We interrupt your regular broadcast to bring you Saul and Endor. And as you read it, you're like, no. I don't want to hear about Saul and Endor. What about David? David is about to do the unpardonable sin. And now we're interrupted with Saul and Endor. Why the interruption? It seems strange. And if you observe the text, the geography is different. It's not even the same scene. It's not the same war. These are not two contemporaneous events, but the narrator has taken a previous or a future event and he's placed it right in the middle, interrupting the story of David. It's a strange parenthesis. Why did the narrator interrupt David's story at such a crucial moment? It actually seems like really bad storytelling. And David's about to go to war. Oh, and then there's this guy named Saul of Endor. Like, what? No. It's like you want to scroll down, right? You want to scroll down. Forget Saul of Endor. What's going on with David? But the narrator plays these two separate events side by side for a reason. Side by side for a reason to show us something. To show us two Christians in grievous sin. Two Christians in grievous sin. One is still in the church and about to fight for the church. The other is outside of the church, joined to the enemy, getting ready to fight against the church. And only one of those is Christian. And it's the one on the outside. The narrator placed these two events together to show us that not everyone in the visible church belongs to the invisible church. There are two kinds of Christian. Two kinds of Christians. And then we read in verse 5, When Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. He's not just afraid, he is terrified. He's disheartened. And so he did what every disheartened Christian does. He cried out to the Lord, verse 6. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, trembling, he cried out to the Lord. Desperate. That's the action of a Christian. But then we read, the Lord did not answer him. The Lord did not answer him by dreams or by Urim or by prophets. Why didn't the Lord answer him? We need a little background information. This is the same Saul in the church, if you will, who killed all the priests. He killed all the ministers, except for one, the priest at Nob who escaped with the ephod and fled to David. So without the ephod, he's without the means of grace. The last prophet has died, and God is no longer revealing. He, he's far from God. He's without God. He's without the means of grace in the church, but attacked the church. 
there are actually two kinds of churches in the world. The true church is the church that preaches the gospel, preaches the pure gospel and ministers the pure sacraments. Be careful to whom you belong. Verse 7. Then Saul said to his servants, Seek out for me a woman who is a medium. So the Lord, he did not hear from the Lord. Saul turned away from the Lord. The Lord turned away from Saul, so Saul turned away from the Lord, and he continued in that direction. And he sought heresy. Find me a medium that I may go and inquire of her. And they know where she is. They have one already figured out, it seems like. Behold, there's a medium in Endor. He sought heresy. And heresy begins in the church with false Christians. And false Christians with lies erode the foundations of the faith, lead to ungodly living, and destroy the unity of the church. Paul writes in 1 Corinthians eleven nineteen. listen to Paul. Paul says, there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine may be recognized. See, Paul's recognizing that there are two types of Christians, true and false, genuine and ungenuine. And the word factions in the Hebrew, or excuse me, in the Greek, is the Greek word heresios. So truly, we can interpret this, translate this, for there must be heresios, there must be heresy among you, in order that the genuine Christians may be recognized. You see, heresy exposes true and from the false Christians, or exposes the false Christians from the true Christians. You recognize true Christians by their profession of faith. This reminds me of our Athanasius Creed. The Athanasius Creed says it ends this way. Here's how the Athanasian Creed ends. It says, I quote, This is the Catholic faith, that one cannot be saved without believing it firmly and faithfully. Am I a true Christian? Part of the answer is this. Are you orthodox? Do you believe in the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit? Do you believe in the one true God? And do you trust him? Verse 8, so Saul disguised himself and put on other garments and went he and his two men, they came by night to the woman by night. They're in the darkness. They have to steal themselves away. They have to steal themselves away to do what they're not supposed to be doing. This reminds me of the difference between a Baptist and a Presbyterian. The Presbyterian says hi to his pastor at the liquor store. And he said to the medium, divine, divine for me by a spirit and bring up for me whomever I shall name to you. Saul commands heresy. And the woman's suspicion is alerted. Verse 9, the woman said to him, you know what Saul's done. We're not supposed to be doing this. I don't want to be on the news at 9. Busted, pagan busted. No. This is death. Are you laying a trap for my life? But then notice verse 10. Paul does something very interesting. It says, but Saul, excuse me, Saul, Paul, not Saul, not Paul. Saul swore to her by Yahweh. 
Saul swore by Yahweh. As Yahweh lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Do you see what Saul is doing here? Saul is seeking to disobey Yahweh in Yahweh's name. He is seeking to disobey Yahweh, and this is blasphemy. He is basically saying, by Yahweh's life, Yahweh cannot harm you for breaking Yahweh's law, because I say so, because I'm using God's name. Every time I talk about the visible, invisible church, when I discuss the invisible, invisible, visible church and how there are false and true Christians, it is often asked of me, why are there false Christians even in the church? Why would unbelievers want to join the church? Like, really, why are they here? There's so much you could be doing on Sunday. It's Montana. Got the mountains to hike and the fields to climb or ride motorcycles through. Not climb, right. Why join the church? Why do unbelievers join the church? Here's the answer. To use God. To get God to use God. Let me ask you, why are you in church? Perhaps you're in church to please your parents. Are you here to please your parents? Maybe you're here to please your spouse. Or perhaps you've been told that God's the way to wealth and health. That God will get you your best life now. Ooh, got to get to church. And there are myriad of ways, millions of ways to use religion. To use God. We see this with Peter and Simon the magician who was baptized. He entered the covenant community. He belonged to the church. He did amazing things for the Lord serving and working for the Lord. But Peter eventually saw through Simon. He saw through it and said, I quote, you have neither part nor lot. You have neither part nor lot in the church because your heart is not right before God. False Christians join the church to get God. Are you here to get God? Or are you here to be with God? That's the difference. That's the difference between true and false Christians. True Christians come to church to be with God and to be with his people, to be justified, to be sanctified, and to give God all the glory with all his saints. Why are you at church? That's a test. That's an important question to ask yourself. Verse 11, then the woman said, whom shall I bring up for you? And he said, I need Samuel. And here's an interesting verse, right? Verse 12, this is where a lot of people, they, they camp out on this verse. When the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. I think, I think she cried out for a loud voice because I think this is the first time she actually ever uh, brought, encountered the dead. I think this is the first time she ever had actual contact and it like, surprised her, like, oh, it, it actually worked. <laughs> But then she discerned. She's a very discerning woman. And the woman said to Saul, why have you deceived me? You are Saul. And then Samuel, Saul, you know, don't worry, don't worry. Do not be afraid. Just what do you see, woman? And she said, I see a God 
coming up out of the earth. That's just paganism right there. I see a God coming up out of the earth. It's paganism. In pagan thought, there's the idea that some mortals, some people when they die, they are resurrected. They become gods. That some mere mortals can become actual gods and be added to the pantheon. And so this is, she's speaking heretically. You know, the Bible, the Bible basically presents facts and often those facts are not true. Sometimes they're just the ramblings of a pagan. And here's the point. Saul's practicing. Saul, a member of the covenant community, for all intents and purposes, a Christian is practicing paganism. Unfortunately, we know church history, this will not be the last time a Christian practices paganism. History is ripe with Christian pagans the television is full of Christian pagans because there are two kinds of Christians in this world. Verse 14, he said to her, what is his appearance? And she explains it. He realizes it's Samuel. He bows, pays homage, the text says. Then Samuel said to Saul, I love Samuel, he doesn't wait, he doesn't hesitate. Why have you disturbed me? By bringing me up. Now, again, we, we often camp out here as exegetes and so forth. And the question comes up, does, did, the question is by scholars and many others, did the medium actually disturb a dead saint? Did the medium actually disturb a dead, that, do, do this, does this fallen world and the forces of evil in this fallen world, does it have power over us even after death? Did this medium bring forth Samuel? And the answer is yes and no. Yes, the medium brought forth Samuel. But no, she had no power. God permitted this event. God permitted the encounter. One last encounter with the prophet to show us the difference between Saul and David. Saul answered, I'm in great distress, for the Philistines are warring against me. He can hear the sound of war, and he cannot hear the voice of God. And God has turned away from me and answers me no more. Those are some of the saddest words in Scripture. God has turned away from me and answers me no more. There is no greater misery in all of life than to be abandoned by the Lord. And abandoned without hope, he turned elsewhere. He turned to Samuel. He says, therefore, I have summoned you to tell me what to do. He's placing his hope somewhere else. Here's a Christian placing his hope in somewhere else. And there's David in chapter 27. A Christian placing his hope in somewhere else. Two Christians in grievous sin. Two Christians turning away from the Lord. But there is a difference between the two. You see, one Christian was backsliding. One was a backsliding Christian. And the other, we read, verse 16 was an enemy of the Lord. And Samuel said, Then why do you ask me since the Lord has turned from you and become your enemy? 
There are two kinds of Christians in the world. And one kind. Those who belong to the church visibly but not invisibly. Those who don't truly believe. The false Christian is opposed by God. You have become God. Look, the text says you're not, you haven't become an enemy to the Lord. No, the Lord has become an enemy against you. You're Yahweh's enemy. And the Lord always wins. The Lord always wins. Verse 17, the Lord has done to you as he spoke by me, for the Lord has torn your kingdom, or excuse me, has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, because you didn't attack Emelik when I commanded you to. You sought your own way, your own direction. Verse 19, moreover, the Lord will give Israel into your hand and the Philistines tomorrow, you and your sons shall be with me. The Lord will give the army of Israel also into the hand of the Philistines. God defeated Saul. Why did God defeat Saul? Why is God promising to defeat Saul? Because only true Christians are saved by the wrath of God. Only true Christians are saved by the wrath of God. Jesus said, John 3:18, whoever believes in him is not condemned. Those who truly believe are not condemned. But Jesus says, whoever does not believe is condemned already. Condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the Son of God. There is a warning here in this text. And it is a warning to false Christians. Test your motives, Christian. That's what the text is telling you. Test your motives right now. Why are you here? Why are you in church? Why are you baptized? Why have you made membership vows? Are you here to get? Are you here to get God? Or are you here to believe? And there is a subtle reminder for the Christian to avoid the false church. As you look at the text, not only Israel was not even spared, the people of God were not spared when God attacked this false leader in the church. God would take out this false leader and he would not spare even the people of God. I'm reminded here, I think it was Athanasius. I might get my history wrong. I probably should have Googled it before the sermon. But I believe it was Athanasius who visiting a bathhouse one day he heard as he, St. Athanasius, as he was visiting this bathhouse in the third century, he heard there was a heretic, a known heretic, bathing in the same bathhouse. And he said, we have to get out of here. Let's get up and get out of this bathhouse just in case the Lord uses this moment to end his life and we are caught in the rubble. Now, I know as modern Christians, we need to tell St. Athanasius, hey, we didn't instruct him in the ways of Christian bumper stickers. You got to coexist. But perhaps St. Athanasius knew something about God's wrath that is lost to us in our age of the therapeutic. It is not nice 
But perhaps we should take God's wrath seriously. It's a terrible thing to fall into the hands of a holy God. This chapter is a warning to false Christians. Stop using God. Today's the day. Repent of your sin and believe in Christ. He alone can free you from the condemnation. This chapter is also pastoral. It's a very pastoral text. Because like David, true Christians fall into sin and we will all feel cut off from time to time from God's presence. We as Christians will all feel the frown of God's providence. There will be times in your Christianity where God will seem distant. There will be times when you will feel cast off from God. And sometimes God leaves us. Sometimes God leaves us in our affliction for so long. For so long we are tempted to believe we are Saul. So long we feel forsaken. David felt that way. Listen to Psalm 13.1. David Wright wrote Psalm 13.1. He says, How long, O Lord, how long, O Lord, will you forget me? Forever? How long will you hide your face from me? This is the kind of psalm that Saul wrote, excuse me, David wrote after his falling from the Lord. David felt forsaken. He fell from sin and he felt its consequences. But unlike Saul, he eventually wrote this psalm. Unlike Saul, he eventually confessed his sin, sought the Lord, cried out to the Lord. True believers fall into sin. True believers feel the consequence. And we cry out to the Lord. We search our hearts. Is there any sin in me? And we repent of that sin. And we seek to confess that sin. And we seek to live for the Lord. And we have to patiently wait sometimes. Because sometimes the affliction lasts so long, Christian. You will go through trouble. And sometimes it will last weeks, months, maybe even years. Listen, if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Psalm 88. Verses 14 through 18. Here's a man after God's own heart. Oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your terrors, I am helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friends to shun me. My companions have become darkness. That's the end of the psalm. David faced God's absence and it troubled his soul. And Saul was troubled too. Two kinds of Christians. Saul was troubled, but Saul was troubled over questions. And his questions, he needed information. Saul was seeking information. Will my kingdom stand? Will I live? 
David never seeks information. Rather, he seeks companionship. He doesn't seek information. He seeks to be with God. He doesn't want to use God. He wants to simply be at peace with the Lord. Saul used God and David sought to be with God. That's the difference. And then the scene ends basically with Saul eating a meal. The medium, you know, she sees that he's hungry, he's faint, he's been fasting. She eventually makes him a meal fit for a king. And the text says they ate and they left at night. The text doesn't tell us when they left. It says they left in the dark. He left in darkness. You know, there's another member of Christ's church, an actual disciple of Christ, who had one last meal with Christ, and John's gospel says, and immediately went out, and it was night. And John doesn't tell us what time it was. He says it was night, because Judas betrayed Christ, left, departed into the darkness, and died. And that's the life of sin, in darkness to death. And so for the other disciples, those who truly belong to Christ, those who truly belong to God, Christ entered the darkness and died for the church. Mark 15, 33, and when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And in the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lama shabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God's wrath swept over Christ, and he felt the abandonment of sin, not his sin. He felt the abandonment of God. And you should hear in those words of Christ, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You should hear in those words, your words. Your words to God in the pain, Lord, have you turned from me? Am I a Christian? Those words of Christ are your words, dear Christian. Those words of Christ are your words. He was shunned, forsaken, and afflicted, abandoned by God, that you will never feel or never be forsaken. Because of Christ, Christian, God will never forsake you. Now, he might, you might feel his displeasure. You will feel his absence from time to time. But he will never leave you. He will never forsake you. No matter your sin. No matter your struggle. Because he loves you too much. He loves you too much. He sacrificed his son for you. And Christ loves you so much, he said those words. Why have you forsaken me? How do you know if you are a true Christian? Do you believe that Christ went through the darkness for you? 
Do you believe that God will never abandon you no matter your sin or your struggle? And don't come here to church to seek information. Don't come to church to be doctrinally sound. Seek to be doctrinally sound that you might be one with Christ. One with Christ, bone of his bone, flesh of his flesh, united to the risen Lord. Here's some orthodoxy for you. Christ is two natures in one person. Christ is two natures in one person. And you, dear Christian, are one nature in many persons. Christ and his church. You belong to Christ and his church. That is, you belong to the holy, Catholic, invisible church. And that's true Christianity. If you believe and you seek oneness with Christ, amen. At Covenant Reformed Church in Missoula, Montana, we sincerely believe God's Word and faithfully teach it. We invite you to worship with us on Sundays at 10.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. For more information, please visit MissoulaURC.com. That's MissoulaURC.com.